Hi, this is Ray Boom Boom Mancini, and you're listening to the Mike Sappho Podcast, and it's a knockout. What's going on, champ? All right, and yourself, I'm so sorry about calling you so late. I just, you know, I got caught up with dinner with my bride, and just got out of there, so I'm sorry about that. Don't you worry, and the fact, I'm here with me, my fiancé, and once she said that you were out to dinner with your bride, she's like, I love this man, I want you to call me your bride. <laughs> <laughs> now, boom, boom. I appreciate that. Listen to me. Yes, sir. First things first, I grew up in an Italian Catholic family, so the names Rocky right. Marciano, Jake LaMotta, Rocky Graciano, yeah. Ray Mancini, they're held in the uh, upper echelon of boxing lore. But my grandfather, right. my grandfather, That's he's... Me. But listen, Ray, my grandfather's 94 years old. Since I was a child, my grandfather told me the same story about you. I'm not sure if it's an urban legend, so can you finally clear up this family mystery? I will do that. Okay. He brought up this story this morning, Ray, when I told him you were coming on. He said around 30 years ago, he was in the Villa Roma, and you were playing ping pong, and Ray, he said you were destroying everybody, beating the table, (laughs) running the table. Then he says he comes over to you. He beats you in a match, and you refuse to sign an autograph for his six-year-old grandson, which was me. Please tell me, is this well, true or not? No. I'll tell you what. I mean, here's what I'll tell you. I was a good Piedmont player, and I remember playing when I was at Cafe Roman. I'm not saying specifically. I used to play ping pong, and I was a good player. But if he beat me, and he beat me, I, I, I'm sure I didn't handle well, but I'll tell you this. I never, ever refused to sign an autograph. That I could tell you is not true. Fair, so absolutely not true. So I never ever, I never. And I don't want to call you grandfather liar. Watch say that. But I never ever refused a a autograph with anybody. Now that you can take to the bank. Now boom boom. So you're that, saying he might have beat you. You definitely signed an autograph, and you might have been a little angry. Is that fair? I can say I was angry. Yeah, I don't want to lose to anybody, especially a guy you know who's a lot older. You go, geez, oh man, I'm a young kid. I should be able to beat this guy. But but, Grandpa, I will tell you this. Grandpa ain't remembering quite clearly if he says I refuse an autograph. That is not absolute. I tell Grandpa that's not true because I never refuse. Because, look, it's borrowed time. I'm honored and flattered to think that my name on a piece of paper, it means something for somebody. So I'm always honored and flattered to do that for anybody. But specifically, kids, never. That's a, that, Grandpa, the urban legend, you grew it. It, 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 it sounded good. That you beat me. It sounded good that, you know, I was angry. But it's, it, but it's not maybe it sounded good that I didn't want to sign. But that is not true, Grandpa. Love it. Tell him, man. That can't, can't go there. But you cannot agree with that one. Boxing Hall of Famer Ray Boom Boom Mancini, you absolutely crushed it this past weekend during the Errol Spence-Mikey Garcia fight. How was it down in well, Jerry's world? That means the world? I appreciate that very much. That means the world to me. How, how was it down in Jerry's world? Oh, Jerry's World, that's exactly what it is, too. <laughs> Jerry's World was great, man. I mean, it's, it's like you got unbelievable. Unbelievable. The, the size of that place, the energy of that place. And it's specific because Jerry's, you know, first of all, we had him on, right? And they tell you, you know, hey, look, Jerry comes on. Jerry, you know, it's very animated. It's a great interview. But Jerry, you know, you got to reel him in sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we brought it, and of course, Sean Porter says, "You know, Jerry, uh, I grew up in uh, Cleveland. Well, I'm from, he's from Akron, actually, Akron, uh, you know. And um, we got another. We got Odell Beckham, 
and he said, yeah. He said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Great. So right after that, I say to him, right after, I said to him, so, hey, Jerry, by the way, now that you got Jason Witten back, what's that mean for your team? He went right over it. He said, yes, you know, this is going to be a great event here. At the thing. He went right over it. I, know. I looked at him, did he not hear me? Did he not hear me? But they said, well, my point is, and I realized, my man, is, he talks, and he's got in his head, he's got a program what he wants to say. It don't matter what you say. <laughs> he's going to say what he's going to say. <laughs> no, he's a, I looked at him and I go, am I missing something? I just asked him a question. He went right by. And if you watch the interview, because they put it up on, they put the interview up on, um, on uh, Fox put up on, on Facebook. And I said, and, and, and I was laughing, I said, I thought it was me, but they said, no, no, you asked the question. He just went right by it. I said, That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Like, oh, you know, oh, Ray, it, it reminded me of Derek Jeter. No matter what you asked him, he was going to answer the perfect question. Boom, boom, boom. He had an agenda, and that was it. Because I thought you were going to talk some football with him, and he just ignored it. He's like, the celebrities are right. here. Look at my place. I loved it. <laughs> well, you know what the funny thing you said about Derek Jeter? You know, it's funny. I loved him as a player, obviously. But you know what? You're you're absolutely right. I I don't know him in a minute. And I and I lo- and I'm gonna say this about my friend Ray Leonard. I love Ray Leonard. Ray Leonard's probably the greatest fighter of my generation. But when you do an interview with him, it's bland, man. It's vanilla. He don't say nothing. He don't rattle the cage at all. And Derek Jeter must be that same type of guy. He says the right things. He's a, you know he don't he don't say anything that's gonna be controversial or anything like that. Am I right? Uh, and, and that's a difference. I'm a huge Yankees fan. After the game, you want to hear from guys like A-Rod, like Swisher or, or right. Rivera, because they would say, hey, what's on their heart? What's on their sleeve? And Jeter would be like, hey, it's a game. We'll get we'll get better tomorrow. And it was very, like you said, v- very vanilla, very generic. And that's why. Yeah, that's Ray Leonard. That's why when he does commentary, I, I, I love Ray. His knowledge of the game. But when he talks, he's always like, don't want to offend nobody. It's vanilla. I'm not saying this because you're on with me, but I love watching you because of your passion. Well, you, you. you can see how much you love not just the sport. You love the atmosphere, the boxes. You love it there. You love doing the gig, right? Well, well you absolutely do. You know, it's easy talking about something you know about. And I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> the funny thing is, when they hired me, they said, well, Ray, you know, uh, we, we appreciate that we, you know, we like we heard you do commentary, and they said, you know, we, we want you just to, to, you know, be honest. I said, no, 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 you don't got to tell me that. And I'm gonna tell you, if a guy stinks out the joint, I'm gonna say he's stinking out the joint. <laughs> and if a guy's, you know, not, I mean, if the guy's knocking him dead, and he's a killer. I'm gonna say, look, my, you know, I'm, I said, believe me, I'm, I, said, I have no con- problem with being controversial, because controversy as an athlete, I get it. I used to be the guy. Like, oh, man, hey, I was a guy that they built up. And then um, I said, then, then I was, you know, then they used to, rip, you know, rip me a new one. I said, man, I was hurt by that. And my father always taught me. My father told me, said, Raymond, they got a job to do, too. So if you're going to take the good, you better accept the bad. It's a package deal. And that's what I learned. You're right. And that's what I learned. You know, you know I know. And then I always got along with the guys that wrote about me. <laughs> Even I like what they wrote. I used to say, and I learned, I said, look. Right, that I'm a terrible fighter, uh, or, or you know, I'm a half-assed fighter, or whatever you want to say. That's your opinion, and I can say, look, I think you're a horse crap writer, but <laughs> we understand each other, at least. But we, but as long as you don't knock my my character or you know, 
me personally, I can't now. You got a job to do. And I learned that from my father. So my point being is, <laughs> I got a job to do. So if I say something, you know, like one ain't got nothing to do with the other. And it's very difficult to talk with fighters nowadays because I used to be that guy who used to get hurt. But one's personal, one's business. One ain't got nothing to do with the other. And if you can separate the two, you realize, look, this guy's a good guy, but he's just, look, Sean, perfect example. Sean Porter is a friend of mine. I love Sean Porter. He's everything good about boxing. He's everything good about it. He's the type of guy you want your daughter to meet. But a week before, <laughs> I said he, he lost. They just absolutely lost against Ugas. I thought he lost yes. the fight. So they said to me, Ray, he's going to be your partner. I said, well, okay. They go, I go, is that a problem for I said, problem for me. as long as it's a problem for him. I said, you know, I love Sean. He, I, and I've said, this is what I said. I said, he's everything good about boxing. But we're talking about a, one particular fight, which I didn't think he won. But then again, I got to do the kid personally. Personally, I love the kid. I think he's good. And, and between me and you, I'm happy he won. Because he's good for boxing. Mm-hmm. He's good for boxing. So, you know, they said, okay. So, well, we met. <laughs> he was very gracious. And I said, this kid's a pro, man. He's a pro. At first, he was a little standoffish, a little bit. Maybe it's because I hadn't seen him in a while. But then we warmed up to each other. And then when I seen his father, Kenny, again, Kenny was a little standoffish at first, too. But then he warmed up. So my point being is they're professionals. They're true pros. They get it. You may not like what everyone says, but then you realize. It's just it's 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 a profession, but one's personal, and and I don't I don't cross over, and and I told these guys when I do commentary, I will not question a guy's heart, is he that or his talent. I will not question his heart or his talent. Obviously, he's, he's on TV, he can fight. Obviously, being in the ring, he's got the heart. But I will question is their conditioning, their commitment to the sport, and their desire for sport. That I will question. So. This, you know, and those are the only things I tell people. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna knock. I'm, a, I'm a lover of fighters. I love fighters, and I'm not gonna uh, knock a guy or, or hurt him for try to make him in front of his family and look, make him look bad. But if you ain't doing the job that you're supposed to do, and that's when you're on TV, you got to you got an obligation to the fans to give them the best fight possible. That's why you're on TV. No. You know, we're entertainers. You got to entertain. Your the, job is to win, but your job is to entertain. Exactly. And now this weekend, you were very fair with it. Errol Spence Jr., he put on an absolute clinic. Did that surprise you? That's a good point, yes. Did, did that surprise you? Yeah. Yeah, it did. And, you know, look, people said to me, my son said, Pop, man, you're getting ripped all over Facebook or, or, or Twitter because you picked Mikey to win. I said, yes. I said, but the day before, I picked Spence to win. <laughs> he said, what? I, I said, we did the day before. They said, you know, Sean, you pick one, you ready for it. Well, Sean picked uh, Mikey. Mm-hmm. What did I? I said, well, okay. I said, well, then Errol, no, Errol's, you know, too big, too strong, is too fundamentally sound, <laughs> and it just, you know, a lot of times a little a good little man beats a big man, but that's not in this case. Errol's gonna beat him. I didn't say knock him. I just said beat him. Well, then the next day, we were talking about before the fight. And I said, you know, Sean, let me do this. Let's do this. Way. I said, Sean, you take it all the time because this is a guy. And the reason I said this, this is a guy you may f- want to fight. This is a guy that if he beats Mikey, you're in line to fight him. So he said, I said, so you take Errol, and I'll take Mikey because he's a smaller guy. I was a smaller guy. We, you know, I was always kind of the underdog. So I'll talk. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's all. That's what we just, you know, that's what we did to flip the floppy. But, but, you know, I mean, and I didn't say Errol. I thought Errol was one for sure. I didn't know. That was the thing about the 
that's the great thing about boxing. You don't know. You never know. So, but common sense says Errol was going to beat him. Common sense. But common sense ain't going to do with it. <laughs> because, you know, Mikey had all the attributes to beat him. And when you listen to Mikey, you bought into what he was saying. He said, I see something in this guy that I can exploit. And you go, yeah, I buy that. <laughs> but then <laughs> I call Errol Cool Breeze. Cause yeah, man, you know, Errol's cool, Bridge, man. Just, yeah, man, I'm gonna go out there and do my job. You know, I'm gonna do this. You know, he don't get over. He don't get too fly, uh, hyper, or too overexcited. He's just calm, man. Cool, Bridge, you know. And um, <laughs> and I said, I said, so when I, so that's when we talk. Yeah, man, I'm gonna go out and do my job. You know, he thinks he can beat me. Yeah, but we'll see. I hope he try to knock me out. We'll see. You know, all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. but very calm. You know, and you love a guy like that. And so. That's why when you listen, you go, I don't know. Yeah. Because you got to expect the unexpected. This is what I'm afraid you can expect the unexpected. But in retrospect, Errol did everything he said he would do. Mm-hmm. And Mikey tried, but which, which, which was the common, um, was common thought was he's just too big and too strong. And he was. And Mikey couldn't figure him out. Mikey tried. He gave it his best shot, but he couldn't figure him out. I don't want Errol Spence to fight Manny Pacquiao. It looks like it's the way it's going. Does it frustrate you as a boxing purist? You know, you're behind the mic. You want the Terrence Crawford fight. Does it bother you that it's, it might not happen because of other issues? Well, no. Look, I'm going to tell you right now why it might not happen. If it ha- doesn't happen, I'll tell you right now. It, the fight that everyone wants, the two fights that everyone wants to see, was Mikey and Loma, mm-hmm. Errol and Crawford. Everyone wants those two fights that everyone wants to see. And and Errol's very confident he's gonna be Crawford. I've seen Crawford, you know, talk to him. They, you know, but Errol's very confident when he's gonna be Crawford, and vice versa. Mikey Loma says he wants Mikey. Mikey, for whatever reason, hasn't made any comment about it. And I asked someone, "That's the fight. Why would Mikey jump up two weight classes when he can make as much, if not more, fighting Loma?" And they told me, and now it makes sense. I couldn't understand. Mikey, he can't stand Bob Aaron, and he don't want to make Bob Aaron make any money off of him. Wow, really? And I said, well, you know, because of what happened from before. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that was what was told. Mikey can't stand Bob Aaron because Bob froze him for a couple of years. Whether he froze him or Mikey chose to, whatever you want to call it. There was a two-year hiatus, right? And Mikey was some of his best years <laughs> in the prime of his career. Miss out on some of the biggest pages. Now he's making up for it now, don't get me wrong. But him, he says he has such a disdain for Bobby Arm that he doesn't want Bob making any money off his name. Now, is that self righteous? Very possible. Because, look, you're going to get your What do you care what he gets as long as you get yours? But if you're so adamant that you don't want him making any money off his name, then you're going to do what Mikey did. So Mikey moved up and challenged Errol. Now, in retrospect, Errol and, <laughs> as we just said, Errol and Crawford are the best fight, and Loma and Mikey. Now, people say, well, Bob, but but uh, Crawford and Loma are what Bob Aaron. I said, let me tell you this about Bob Aaron. No matter what you say, Bob Aaron cannot, can, him and L, L. Heyman don't care for each other. That we know. But Bob Aaron and Don King couldn't stand each other. They actually hated each other. But when it came to making money and making what was best for boxing, they reached across the table and made the deal. Bob will do that. Bob, it will reach across the table with anybody if it's what's best for boxing or best for his fighters. How much homework do you do before a fight, knowing you're going to call it, knowing a few of the undercards? How much homework are you doing? 
No, you got to do it. You got to look up the fighters. Like a couple of guys, you know the names, but you don't know much about them. <laughs> um, like coming up, uh, uh, you know, this weekend, it's, it's Peter Quillen, uh, Caleb Truax. And, I got, you know, I know Peter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know much about Truax. So you got to look him up, check out some of his fights and see, oh, yeah, okay, I got it. Okay, I see what he's about. Then that, then you can, you can match styles, you know. In your mind, you go, well, this style, this is why he's, it's a good fight for Peter or it's a good fight for Caleb, you know. And then you say the pros and the cons of both. Then in your mind, then when they ask you about making, what do you think about the fight, you can have a, then you can have a real honest uh, answer for them because at least you've at least seen both guys. And, and believe me, it don't take much for me to watch tape of a guy. I watch one or two rounds, and I've watched through the years. It's like when I used to watch tapes of my opponents. I don't need to watch a whole fight because they're not going to fight me like they fight the other guy. But you can see in a couple rounds certain tells that the fighter has. You can see what he, his tendencies are. And that's all you want to know. That's all really. Because, look, when you get in the training camp, you know, you, I'm training one way. I'm trying, I'm going to be a pressure fighter, and I'm going to be on top of you no matter what. You're not going to fight me the way you fight this other guy. But if you have certain tells that you give, that's all I'm looking for. What do you do? I know what I'm going to do, but because there's certain tendencies you do. That's all. So when I watch fighters, it's kind of what I look for. You know what I mean? I want to talk a little bit you know, about your illustrious career. You had a great career. Yeah. I know you got into the boxing because mm-hmm. of your father. He was a boxer. What was it about the right. sport that captured your heart? Because I'll tell you something that my grandfather, I'll go back to him. He said, you know, back then, a lot of fighters fought out of a necessity. Uh, that was the way out of yeah. maybe, you know, the bad neighborhood or a bad family thing. Exactly. You were a middle-class yeah. white dude. Uh, Italian yeah. Catholic. What was it about the sweet science that you just fell in love with? No, I fell in love with the idea of winning the title for my father. I wanted to win wow. that title for my father. It wasn't so much uh, boxing itself. It was I was so determined. When I <laughs> growing up my whole life, I always heard about my father. Should have been, could have been, would have been world champion if it wasn't for World War II. And when I was a little boy, they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a fighter and world champion for my father. And they say, oh, isn't that cute? He wants to be a fighter for his father. But that's all I ever wanted to be. That's true. And, and I never wanted to be anything else. So even when I won the world title, I had reporters say to me, now that you won the title, did you, did, did you, you know, if you weren't a fighter, what would you have done? I said, I can't answer that because there's nothing else I wanted to be. That's else I wanted to do. I like to think I've been successful, whatever it was, but I can't answer that because there's nothing else. This is it. And so... The reporters would say, did you really believe you'd be world champion? i say, yeah, man. Because I used to dream about it. I used to have these visions in my head since I was 8, 9, 10 years old of me carrying the belt over my head, walking around the ring carrying the belt. I said, now there's a fancy name. Sports psychology call it positive mental visualization. Mm-hmm. I said, hell, man, I always thought it was called dreaming. <laughs> that's all. I was, just, I was this kid with a dream. But, you know, so that's the thing. So I did believe it. But that's all what I was, because just what you said. I was a kid from white middle class neighborhood, parochial school for twelve years. There's no need for me. Now we we weren't wealthy by no means, but there was. I had a professional baseball offer. I had uh, academic as well as athletic scholarship to go to college. I had other opportunities. And then you know when I said no, I'm going to be a fighter. You know, I looked real stupid then, bro. <laughs> you know, but uh, but no, that was all I ever wanted to be. So there was really no, there was no decision for me. And I was going to New York. Mm-hmm. That's what my father did. And I wanted to do everything he did. I wanted to be my father. So this is why 
when when I hear these, you know, uh, when I hear people say, "See, boxing traditionally mm-hmm. comes from economic need," you, as you were saying earlier, in a, in a economic need, and the twenties it was the Jews, thirties it was the Irish, the forties it was the Italians, now it's the Black and Hispanic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that tradition comes from economic need. Me, I didn't have that. I come from, like you said, a middle class neighborhood and parochial school, but that's all I wanted to be. So when I tell people, when I when I do talks, I talk to the middle school or high schools or businessmen. I tell them, but when I got to jail, see, it's all about the hunger, whether it's uh, uh, physical hunger <laughs> from economic need or mental hunger. Emotional hunger. I said, I come there and I got the gym. I go down the, I train at the, at the Solar Gym <laughs> down at, you know, 19th, 10th Avenue and 21st, 22nd Street. I said, I was the only white guy. I walked in all black and Hispanic. They used to drool at the mouth when I walk in. You can see it. They foam at the mouth. Uh-huh. And I said, but your need, your want, your desire, and your, and, and, and your determination ain't no bigger than mine. No, nothing bigger than mine. You want reason you want to be champions for maybe economic thing, whatever. I want to win that title for my father. So we both had a want, oh, a you, desire, a need. You, so yours wasn't bigger than mine. No yeah, matter you where bo- I come from. You both had that craving. Yes, exactly. Hey, Ray, that's what I tell kids. You can come from any background, any social, social economic uh, <laughs> upbringing, and it doesn't matter. You could be successful at whatever it is, because people think that kids come from uh, white collar families, families that you know, well-to-do families that they're not going to be successful. They got the silver spoon. They could be whatever they want because still, still from the need, the need to succeed for whatever reason, whatever your reason is. Mine was the reason I just gave you. So, um, this is why I, I don't buy into that when I when I hear these stories. Oh, uh, he's not hungry enough. now. You can see if a guy's playing or he's training, whatever he's playing, whether it's a sport or boxing, if he doesn't train like he's hungry or if he doesn't fight like he's hungry, well, that's different. You can see that. But, <laughs> no, but the want and the need, the desire, intestinal fortitude, that word is, I always remember that word. I love that word. Intestinal fortitude tells you everything. You know, no matter where you come from, if I have that hunger and that desire inside, whatever my reason is, it, it, yours ain't no bigger than mine. Yeah, was it true you were a Southpaw and then switched? Yes, my first six amateur fights, I fought as a South. I'm a Southpaw in every way. Why'd you switch? I'm a Southpaw, I, I, I do everything. Only two things I did right hand. Only two things. That when I played baseball. Okay. And <laughs> boxing. They converted me. And the reason why, when I batted, my mother said I used to imitate the kids in the neighborhood mm-hmm. as a little boy. Now, the funny thing is, in retrospect, you always see righty-unders switch to lefty, right? Southpaw. Of course. And you go, why? Because it's the power hand that drives you through. They're having the right hand and it drives that through. When you, when you swing a bat, a lot of the, one of the drills are you do one-handed swing with your power hand mm-hmm. to, to drive through. The other hand is just to guide it. Well, I was actually doing it the right way. Because I'm left-handed. My left hand was my power hand. And that was when I was by, you know, orthodox. I, it was my uh, left hand pulling the bat through. So I was actually doing it the right way. But you never see, as very seldom you see a right-hander switch to bat right, uh, I mean, uh, lefty, bat righty. It's usually, you know, lefty, bat lefty, or righty, bat lefty. So, because they have the first step towards first base. Wow. That, uh, so, 
that fascinated me. Now, I have a question about this because your career was only five or six years, yet your name is still ridiculously heavy. It still resonates with the boxing world. A lot of boxers fade away. Why is Ray Boom Boom Mancini still known? You can say the name and people who are novice boxing fans know who you are. How would you keep your name so heavy after only fighting for five or six years? I think the reason is, and I hope it's this reason why people remember my fights is because even though I only fought five and a half years, I had 30, 32, 34 fights in five and a half years. So not a lot of fights, but not a lot of years. You understand? So I think the fact that I was fighting, I mean, I actually had 32 fights in five and a half years, and then I came back for the fight against Kamacho and later on Hoggy. But it's like 32 fights in five years doesn't constitute me as an act. I mean, when I retired, I retired because I had no love for the game. But I was active. It's five at 29 fight, uh, 32 fights in five and a half years. That's one of what? That's average of one every six, you know six a year. The thing I'm most proud of as a champion for two years, from May of '82 to June of '84, I had seven fights, five title defenses, two non-title fights. But non-title fights are actually title fights in this respect. My my belt wasn't was on online, but my credibility, my markability, and, and respectability was. So it's a title fight in my view. So seven fights in 24 months is one every three months. I was in training camp for six weeks to fight. There was a period of time that I was in training camp, 38 out of 43 weeks. Oh, my God. So when I retired, because not, I had no love for it, I, lo- I was burnt out. Not that I, I, I mean, I didn't burn out and I, I lost love. No, I lost, I wanted to stay active because as long as you're healthy, you want to stay active because, you know, God forbid, you get hurt, you're going to lay off a period. There was that time I broke my collarbone, I was off for nine months. But then I came back and I, and I kept, I just stayed active. So my style, my style of fighting is not made for a long career. I, I knew it wasn't made for a long career, so I sacrificed longevity to make my score. And thank God I was able to get in and make my money and get out. I want to ask you about your legendary fight with an icon, Alexis Aguero. He, uh, it was for the WBC yeah. lightweight title. It's still considered right. one of the best fights of the 80s. What do you remember most about that fight? Because that fight is always well, talked about. Well, the, what I remember was, first of all, I tell people, that's why the true championship distance is 15 rounds. Because if it's 14, I'm world champion. <laughs> you're but right, you're right. This is 15 rounds. God like Alexis benefited from 15-round fights because he'd take you to deep waters before he tried to drown you. But I always said, Alexis is the type of guy, I said, Alexis is the type of guy, he used to set traps early in the fight. And then he'd go back later in the fight, get them traps caught. And that's what he did. You know, I made him miss 100 right hands. That's the truth. I made him miss right hand. I was slipping underneath it. But it only takes one. <laughs> but what I realized now watching tape, and I've seen, you know, after I watched tape, Alexis had the ability, at first I was on his chest. I was, I, I was right up on his, right in his grill. You know, bang, bang, that body. Making him miss that right hand. But little by little, he separates. That jab, he creates the distance, creates the distance. Just enough that in the 12th round, he threw that right hand, tapped me on, you know, caught me perfect. Because I was coming in at the same time throwing a punch. And I went down on one knee, got up, and, you know, I staggered. I was hurt. I went back to the corner, and my parents just moved, just moved. So 13th round, you see my just move, I just move. Then the 14th round, I jumped right on him. I was banging that body, I was banging him, I was jumping. And then he happened to hit Happened to hit me with a good shot, staggered me, and I went. I was still hurt, obviously, mm-hmm. from the 12th round, but he caught me and he dropped me. I got up, wanting to fight, but I was hurt. And Tony Perez stopped the fight. You know, thank God he did. 
because I was hurt. But if it's 12 rounds, I win the title. That's why it's true championship distance. And I keep saying true championship distance. It's 15 rounds. And that's why guys like Alexis were as great as they were. Guys like Duran and the, they could work as they were because they break you down little by little in the beginning of the fight. And that's what I learned from Alexis, that you, you know, break the guy down systematically in the beginning of the fight, and then later in the fight, you go t- try to take him out. You keep preaching heart and stuff. Is that you were twenty zero and you lost to him? You bounced right back. Right. You fought like two right. months later, which is insane right. in this world. And then you go on like a right. nine or ten fight winning streak. What did you learn about that loss? That you just okay? Hey, I took the L, and then you went on like a a nine fight winning streak. Well, first of all, you can't sit back. I lost, but it's one fight. That doesn't define my career. It doesn't define where I'm going to do. I didn't reach the title yet. So let's get back on the right road. I, I fight was October uh, 3rd, 1981. I was back in the ring the day after Christmas, the 26th. So guys, nowadays, they're taking five, six, seven, eight months, almost a year off. And I'm going, why? Why? It's a short-lived career. you got to make it while you can make it. Why would you not stay active? We, I, you know, you, I, look, as I said, I was, I was back in a, a training camp less than a month, a month and a half later. I was back in training camp. And I had stitches that I heal. Uh, you know, I had you know, I had twenty something stitches in my mouth, over my eyes. <laughs> you know, so you got to get back. But as soon as I was able to, I, I started running again. You know, after a week or so, you just you just maintain. It's maintenance. And then when I went to the gym, we didn't have to didn't have to shake anything off. You just maintaining, and you get back into it. So I fought the day after Christmas, and I fought in January again, January twenty third. So, I mean, that's the thing. I don't understand these fighters. They lose and then they take off for 10 months, eight months. Why? You can Look, these guys are going to pay a hell of a lot better back now uh-huh. than most fighters did back then. But you can never learn your craft. You can never become the fighter you want to be. You can never earn legacy by not fighting. I need Nobody's to... going to remember these guys when they're retired. <laughs> Nobody's going to remember these guys 10 minutes from now. No one's going to do it. Hey, I want to go right to the greatest moment in your boxing career. You win the, you win the yeah. belt. You win the lightweight belt. Right. Now, forever, right. Ray, the rest of your life, you're known as champ. Did you carry right. that belt around with you everywhere? I want to know the minute you no. win that belt. No, because you win the belt, and everyone's like, oh, he's the champion. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you this as a fan. I'll watch a fight. I'm like, oh, just say if I was alive back then, boom, boom, won the championship. You know, if I was celebrating... And that's it. What do you do after the fight? What's your celebration? Tell me about that party. Well, we went back to my room. We had a we we, we had a party like no other. <laughs> the people of Youngstown can party, man. We, the people of Youngstown, we throw a party like no other. And um, we had a party at the Aladdin Hotel. And uh, I'll never forget uh, um, uh, what was his name? Resnick was his last name. Um, uh, he was legendary. He was a legendary. Um, uh, Boss uh, at the casino. Okay. Ash Resnick. Ash Resnick was running the, the uh, r- running the, uh, the Aladdin Hotel at the time. We threw a party. He threw a party for the Youngstown people, and it was just a great man. It was just it was wonderful, and um, we celebrated. And people of Youngstown have always supported me. They've had a large a large part of my success, and they followed me wherever I went. And uh, we threw a party that still talked about to this day. <laughs> so <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, but and then you do that, and then you come home, and then you have a celebration for me here, and you, you enjoy the moment because it's borrowed time. You know what I'm saying? It's borrowed time. And my father taught me a long time ago. It's borrowed time. Enjoy it. You know, 
or enjoy it because it's going to come once, you know, it only comes once in a lifetime. And then you got to get back to work. So, uh, like I said, I won the title in May, but then <laughs> we're training camp in June to be fought July 23rd. It's, it, that's amazing, and it's mind-boggling. And you know what? I'm glad you just said it's borrowed time. We talked about Jeter earlier, Ray, and Derek Jeter in his retirement speech said his biggest regret uh, throughout his, his career was that he never enjoyed the moment. He didn't enjoy the championships because he was so focused. And it seems, did you enjoy the moment, or were you already on to the next fight? Oh, no, 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 no. I enjoyed the moment, man. Oh, forget about it. Look, <laughs> all you got is the moment. That's all you got. I enjoyed that. We partied like it was crazy. But one thing is, <laughs> when the party's over, then it's over. Mm-hmm. Then you get back to work. But it lasted, that party lasted for, for weeks afterwards, you know. But <clears throat> I never <laughs> let myself get too far gone. You know, I wouldn't, I, look, I take off four or five days, then I get back on the road, doing road work. Easy, nothing heavy. Shadow box, easy, nothing heavy. I wouldn't get back in the gym. I had shadow box and jump rope. Just nice, easy, couple rounds shadow box, couple rounds rope, just to, you know, break the sweat. But you always maintain it. You don't let yourself get too far gone. And then when I do run, you know, it's a nice two-mile, easy, uh, stroll, you know, jog. But you're letting your body heal, but you're letting, you know, you're getting the blood moving. But, <laughs> no, I enjoyed the moment. There's no dispute. I enjoyed the moment. And, you know, because that's all you got. Are moments. Not far time, not a long time ago. Moments. These are all you got in life. Are moments. If you get a four or five great moments in your life, you've had a great life. Well, my next question might be a great moment, but it might not be true. Is it true or false? Do you spar or have you sparred with Bob Dylan? Is that true? I did spar with Bob. I, yeah, of course. Bob is a friend of mine. We got to be good friends. I love him to death. <laughs> a great guy. Um, and um, I, I tell the story. I met him. Was it 1992? And um, uh, a friend of we had, our, our we had a mutual friend because he was our our dentist was a was the same we had the same dentist. Okay. And he said to me, I want to see my dentist. He said, Hey, you know, Bob Dylan's a big fan of you. I said, Bob Dylan, man, I love Bob Dylan. How's he a fan of mine? Oh, he's a big boxing fan, but he loves you. I go, Oh man. She said, you know, he'd love to meet you. Could I make an intro? I said, I'd be honored to. She, you know, Bob got a gym. I said, I didn't know that in Santa Monica. Yeah. I said, maybe you go see him and you can, you know, work out together. I said, I'd love to. So he called, uh, called Bob, and next thing you know, Bob's assistant called me and said, the boss wants to know if you'd be, you know, come in and work out with him. I said, sure, why not? And told me what was up. <laughs> I went up there, met him, and, um, you know, just uh, shut a box a little bit. And he said, you know, would you like this bar? I said, sure. I said, <clears throat> no, I know how to work with guys, you know what I mean? You don't go under tight. You just work with them. You let those sort of punches. You catch punches. But every now and then, you got to let them know you're there. So Bob's coming. He's trying. But he's real steady. Bob's like, like I said, he's like, he's like old man ribbit. Just steady. <laughs> nothing high, nothing low. Just steady. Bob's coming, throwing punches. But every now and then, you got to make sure you stick out a jab. Stick out a throw a body shot. You know, just nothing heavy. I'm not trying to hurt nobody. It's Bob Dylan's crowd. So but after a second round, that's a true story. After the second round, he come over to me and said, uh, Ray, uh, you think you can lay off the headshots? I got a few more songs left in there. <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah. But, so I said, well, I, you know, so we go four rounds. Afterwards, we get done. I walk over and said, uh, Bob, I'm assuming you were joking. I hope like hell you were joking. He said, oh, no, no, I was just joking. I said, good, because, man, that's good. And <laughs> he was such a good guy. From that point, we stayed friends. 
and I used to go to the gym and help him out all the time. Sometimes it would be just me and him in the gym. And we'd have great talks. He'd talk about great fighters. You know, he's a big fuck by Ollie, Frazier, <laughs> Monzone. He loved Carlos Monzone. And I talked to him about the heavyweights of rock and roll. Because that's what he did. He'd have a, on, his, on his wall with the most elected champ. He'd have heavyweight Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali. And then he'd have heavyweights of rock and roll. Then you know, you have great fighters, you know, Ray Robinson and Willie <laughs> Pep and Rocky Marciano. Then you'd have, uh, 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 have uh, uh, the, you know, Al Green. You know, you'd have the, you know, BB uh, BB uh, uh, King, and and they have somebody from uh, and, and and Jerry Lee Lewis. You know what I mean? It was just it was an electric gym of all the greats of rock and roll and boxing. And they were mixed together. So I was like, man, this is great. And Bob looked at it as all show business. You of know? course. And, and, and I said, man, he's right. He's Ray, what, right. what was the name of his gym? I bet you it was a cool name. Did he have a cool it, name? It, it, no, no, it was called, it, no, it was on, it was on Twins. So it was called, it was just a, 20, a Broadway gym. Oh, it was, Broadway gym. Uh, it was on Broadway. It was Broadway in Santa Monica. It was Broadway gym. All right, let's have some fun. You ready? We're going to do a few things. You were on the yeah. cover of Sports Illustrated. Do you have a copy yeah. somewhere displayed around <laughs> your house? Yes. Where is it? It's it, uh, it's actually well, I have it in a frame. Okay. But it's not up on my wall. It used to be in my old house, but when I moved back to Youngstown, it's it's all, it's in a frame, <laughs> sitting in my office, but it's on the floor. What memorabilia have you kept like throughout the years? Like, what memorabilia are you like so proud to show off? Through and it doesn't matter. It can be fighting memorabilia or anything. What memorabilia no, do you just always show is- somebody? It is. It is, man. I, don't, I have never given away any of my trunks. Or I mean, I gave away clothes, things I, I wore early in my career. But all my title stuff I have, all my title trunks and robes, and I'm saving them for my children. And so I'm proud of that. I have my belts up on my wall. But my robes and trunks, I got to wait till I get a bigger house. But I'm next house because this right now is it's one more move. One more move. And then I'll, put, I'll, I'll have a room specifically for my memorabilia. Right now it's just, it's, it's kind of love. It's a storage. And some of it's on a wall, some of it's in storage. But I'm waiting like it's this next place, and then there'll be just one room dedicated to all of my stuff. Roots of the so fight. I, um, it, the Roots of the fight is an incredible website. Do you get like? Are you like? Are they licensed to have your stuff? Because yes, I yes, okay, because yes, I license them to do it. Yes. They, and the fun thing, look, I'm telling you one thing I'm flattered about. They figured it out with five guys: <laughs> Muhammad Ali, mm-hmm. Joe Frazier. Um, Mom and all the Joe Frazier, there's four four heavyweights. Um, I think it was Rocky Marciano. Yes. And uh, bu- 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 with Joe Bob, Joe Lewis was Joe Lewis the other one or Foreman? No, Joe yeah, Lewis. Might have been Joe Lewis. Might have been Joe Lewis and Jack Dempsey, not Jack Dempsey, Jack Johnson, and then me. So in other words, the four heavyweights and me. I was I was, I was the original five, the original five. I was the Fab Five. Yeah. I was the original the part of the Fab Five. <laughs> Because yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I love about that. I and love I'm the so shirt. Ray, there's a shirt. Uh, you with the Italian flag, the American flag, and it says Youngstown. I want to buy it, but I didn't know if it was like, eh, are you bet? Right, as long as you're okay with me buying, I'm gonna buy it. Now, oh, I'd be honored, man. No, 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 no. Of course, That's what they make it for. And then one thing I'm proud of: the shirt, the cotton is, is like butter, man. That butter, it just melts on you, man. Just they are hands you. down the most comfortable clothes I've ever. I have all. I have around ten different shirts. Hey, so I have a question about this. I'm an obsessive reader, and uh, you know I always read books about before someone comes on. Mark Kriegel wrote a book about you. 
the good son. Right. Does that get get right. your endorsement? Because like, so, was it like written with you, or like, does that get your oh, endorsement? No, no, written with me, absolutely. I'm the only. Matter of fact, I tell him he's written three biographies. I'm the only one to get greenlighted. He can't, we had dinner one time. Mark is just moving out to L.A. <laughs> he just left, moved out to L.A. in 2010, and I heard he was out there. And he had interviewed me before for an article for the New York Post. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the New York Post. It was New York. Um, was it the, the Daily News? Daily, Daily News. News. He wrote for. And so when he said, I said, "Oh, so I got in touch with him," I said, "Hey, by my body, I heard you just moved. Yeah, so let's get together." I said, "Find Ed O'Neill." Because he had no nobody. He didn't know anybody. He was kind of lonely out there. So we met. We had dinner. We had some laughs. He met Eddie. We all stayed friends. And about a month later, today, he says, uh, "Can I? Can, can we have dinner together?" I said, "Sure." So we go to dinner. He says, hey, he says, uh, <laughs> I want to talk to you about something. I said, go ahead. He, I said, yeah, what about? He said, I own Simon & Schuster, one more book. I own one more. I want to do it on you. I said, you want to do it on me? He said, yeah. I said, Mark, I'm honored. I'm flattered. And through the years, I've been approached by a lot of people, but it was never the right guy, never that writer, or the right time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I was, when I won a title, I've been offered to write a book. I said, I never lived, I haven't even lived a life. Let me live a life yet. And then later on, people talk about, I said, well, who's going to care now? They never had a hook. Mark said to me, I want to write it on you. And, of course, I'd known about, you know, Namath and Maravich. I said, Mark, I'm on. I'm flattered. And if anybody was to write it, I'd be honest, it would be you. He said, but then immediately he says, but look, I can't pay you anything. And you're going to have no say-so on what I write. Oh. And he said, I'm going to go to every dark corner you want to go. The, the death of your brother, your <laughs> divorce, the death of Kim, your mm-hmm. opponent. He said, but if you want the best story about fathers and sons, and this is what this is, it's not a boxing book, it's about fathers and sons, I'm your guy. And I thought about it for about two seconds. I go, okay, let's do it. Oh, that's good. And that's good. I wanted to read the book. Good. <laughs> and so when he did that, he said, and he took, and he, Mark is diligent. We met, <laughs> interviewed me, re-interviewed me, diligent. And you know, he interviewed my kids, but you want me there when he interviewed my kids. And he said to me, look, I've been right. Every, he says, um, I'm not, I'd rather you not read anything I write until it's all done. He said, but if you're, if you're adamant about reading anything, he said, I'll let you read it, you know, chapters as we go. But I said, no, no, I'll wait till it's done. But Ed O'Neill, who introduced it, Eddie, Mark would send him each chapter. After each chapter, Mark would send it to him. And <laughs> Eddie would read it and say, you know, and Eddie would call me and say, man, Raymond, I'm going to tell you, man, you won't love this guy's writing. This guy can write. You won't love his writing. Oh, that's awesome. You won't love, you won't love this story. So I feel confident, Mark, and Eddie re- re- you know, reiterated that to me. So uh, I had no problem with it. But um, so that, that, that's how that come about. But Mark, you know, Mark, yeah, look, he's a terrific writer, man. He, you know, Mark, he, he, he can't get nobody better. And the fact that, you know, we were able to talk and, and meet, and, and he get kids. He came to Youngstown. He went to City Hall and dug up papers. He got stuff. He got my grandfather's manifest when he came to this country with Sicily. He got my grandparents' marriage certificate. I mean, stuff like that was unbelievable. What he got. Awesome. So, um, I'm, you know, Mark, he's a true uh, investigative reporter. <laughs> and the book, when I finally read the book, when I first read it, I cried. Oh. Tears rolled down my face because. It was it was funny, it was re- it was very uh, reminiscent. It, you know, uh, it was um, 
you know, all, uh, you know, the good times, the bad times, but it was also very difficult to read at times. You know, but but you know, the, the you know, my marriage falling apart, mm-hmm. and you know, things like that. But that's the deal. As I tell people, if you're arrogant enough to think your life is worth the book, if you're arrogant enough to think, say, you know, to give the okay for it to be written, then you better be arrogant enough to accept the good, the bad, and the ugly. Wow. You hey. got to be arrogant enough to accept it all because you can't tell the story. It's not a true biography if you don't let everything. Yeah. And then the people decide. And I was as open as I could be, and my family was as open as they could be, and I just thought it was wonderful. I, I you can't get no better than that. You know, oh. it, it, I'm pretty much an open book now. I got I ain't got a whole lot to hide now. You know what I mean? I, I've kept you on for 45 minutes. I'm keeping you on two minutes more. Why is your website down? <laughs> Mom, what, what's website? My my. Um, yeah, uh, the, your, the boom boom site's down. Well, I well, <laughs> no, well, we're, we're doing it. I started with a new company now. That's uh, running. I have a new a uh, radio show. Yeah, tell me about that podcast. Live. I just because I. Right, I just followed no, you. No, no, it's not a podcast. Not, I was doing a podcast with a company, but now it's all different. It's a live stream show that you can see. You know, we just did a show tonight, and it's, it's a little more involved. It's not a sports show anymore. Before it was a sports show. I wasn't doing the show I wanted to do. I was doing it, and then my guy who came to me about doing it, he, he, was, he wasn't going anywhere, and he couldn't get no sponsors. He couldn't, and that was miserable. You know, so I had a new company come in and said, look, we could do it, take it to, to a new level. So... Um, now it's all over, you know, this guy, so you go, so now you go, raise boom, boom, room, not the boom, boom, room, raise boom, boom, room. I'm, I'm on it right so now. Raise boom, boom, room on Facebook, on Facebook live, <laughs> YouTube live. <laughs> and then I was giving all, you can go to the website I and mean, raise boom. Then you'll see. And then that's, so they started kind of creating a new book from the Facebook page for me. So. Um, and, and also, right, you're on Twitter at Real Boom Boom. Why aren't you verified? Why this is you? Why aren't you verified? You know what? My kids keep saying, "I don't know. How do you get verified? I don't know how you do that." You're Boom Boom Mancini. You need to be verified. I everyone says that. Even my guy John, who handles my stuff now, because yeah. I, I let this guy handle it. He's a, he's a genius. He said, "Ray, I gotta, I, I gotta get try to get you verified." My son's been telling me <laughs> forever. I'm trying to get verified. Well, I don't know what to, I see people verified. I don't know how you do it. So. I mean, I, I gotta gotta clarify that. Someone saying, "My guy, John, how do you do it? Do you know? What do you just call face? Uh, what do you call it? Just Twitter? You call them or yeah? I think write them text. I'll email you how to do it. Hey, I have two other questions for you. One, I'm uh, I don't ever say this, but when you get to New York, me, you, Jerry Cooney's a very close friend of mine. He comes on the show all the time, and Randy Gordon, good the commission. We hang out all the time. When you get to New York, we're gonna we're gonna link up. But I always ask this, uh, Ray, to everyone who's on my show. You and I are out. We're at a bar. We're hanging out. Who's the coolest person in your phone that if you texted them, they would text you right back? Mickey Rourke. Wow, that's a damn it. That's yeah. a Ray. That's a great answer. And now this question is for my grandfather. He wants to know now. He's convinced that the Camacho fight was fixed. Can you comment on that? Because that's he said, Mike, ask him about ping pong, and he was robbed against Camacho. It was fixed. Can you make? You don't have to get yes. into the whole thing. Can you just? Well, yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me let me tell you. Your grandfather's a very wise man. <laughs> Maybe that remember the ping pong quite as well as I did. He might have beat me, but I signed on the ground. So I can tell you. But here's the thing. Um, he's not wrong. Well, let me just say this. 
about a month after the Camacho fight, I beat Camacho. He knew it. Everyone knew. Okay, I, you know, okay. I felt satisfied and everything. But a month after the fight, I get a call from uh, <laughs> one of the presidents of the casinos, a good friend of mine. She calls me to come in. I said, Rick, can you come over, fly over? And I was living in L.A. She said, can you fly over for, uh, you know, to have lunch with me? I said, sure. So a couple of days later, I fly over. We go to lunch. He says, look. I want you to know, we all know that you won the fight, but you couldn't get the decision. Oh. I said, excuse me? He said, we all know you won the fight, but you couldn't get the decision. I said, I don't know. Well, what do you mean by that? He said, look, <laughs> there was so much money bet on you. I was a three-to-one underdog. You see that? There was so much money bet on you that if you win, it breaks that town, meaning because the fight was in Reno. He said, now, if the fight was there, we could handle it. But, if you, but the fight was there. If you win, it breaks that town, so you couldn't get the decision. I said, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what that means exactly. I said, he said, we know you won, but you're going to get the decision. I said, well, I appreciate you letting me know that. It don't make me feel any better. Don't make it right, but I appreciate you letting me know that. He said, no, I want you to know. We all know you won. It's just going to get the decision. Now, when I tell people it's called show business for a reason, that's exactly what I mean. It's called show business for a reason. Business comes on for the show. Business comes for the show, and that's anything. If you look at fights, you say, well, certain, so this guy won. You always have to say, who means more to Las Vegas? Who means more to the casinos? And you, then you say, well, that makes sense now. And that's why, you know, I'm not saying it was fixed in the sense that, that's so why I said to him, I said, what if I knocked him out? He goes, well, then we would have had to take the hit. We would have had to have to hit. We would have had to handle it, won't we? He said, but other than that, you weren't going to get the decision. Wow. So, okay. Wow. What? Yeah, that's a true story. That's a true story. Thank you for being honest with that, because I was dying to know that. And no, so, wow! Every fighter knows. Mm -hmm. You knew. You knew. No, no, of course. Camacho knew. Even he said on Spanish television, he said, "Yeah, I lost, but they gave it to me, so I won." So that was his explanation to that. <laughs> but even Camacho even lost. No. So, like, like I said, it's 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 part of the deal. You know what I mean? I, I understand it now much better than I did then. And, um, I, you know, I have no animosity towards anybody. It, it, just, it, it is what it is. And that's all it is. It's just, it's just show business. Show business. And you accept it for what it is, and you move on. It's a Tuesday night. You just had a beautiful dinner with your bride. You stayed on the phone with me for an hour. There's other stuff I want to <laughs> talk to. Listen, I'm being serious. When you get to New York, we're going to link up. I'm buying the book tonight. I'm going to buy the Roots of the Fight shirt. To say... Uh, that I spoke to you tonight, we talked about boxing, we had laughs. This was an absolute honor, and I truly mean that. An honor to speak to someone. That's very kind of you. Look, I appreciate you because you've been very diligent trying to make this happen. I apologize that I've been traveling oh, and I wasn't able to do it earlier, so I appreciate you having me back. I but, really do. But I just want to tell you one thing because you talked <laughs> about you know your, your father growing up. Growing up in a household, like I said, an Italian household, I heard the name Boom Boom Mancini before there was a YouTube, before you can go back and look at the fights. So your name was always like, oh, my God, Boom Boom Mancini. And the fact that I emailed with you, when I emailed with you, I'm like, holy crap, I just had got an email from Boom Boom Mancini. So, dude, this was uh, – Thank you. And Boom Boom, I've had on – I really, I really do, Mike. That means the world to me. I truly, truly appreciate it. But, Ray, I'm telling you, I had on I, – I, hundreds of athletes and authors, and this was one of the best times I've ever had. I can't wait to meet you in person. My man, Ray, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon, brother. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank See you, you later, champ. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.